This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend, and it's another playoff edition. Brian Kenny from the MLB Network will be joining us. Ken Hawk Harrelson, along with Ray Fossey, two former teammates, two legends. We'll have Paul Hemikides from ESPN and Sarah Lang from MLB.com. But we're going to start with my guy. He's one of the best hosts in baseball. He has the best TV show in baseball, MLB Now on the MLB Network. Brian's worked for ESPN, Showtime Boxing. Here is BK, Brian Kenny. Well, of course, you can watch Brian as part of MLB Network's wall-to-wall postseason coverage as they go live before and after every single postseason game. And boy, do we have a lot of them. BK, how are you? It's been a while. Good, good. Uh, Locked down, but good. You know, we're going to work. So now baseball opens up. I think this will look, uh, it'll look like real baseball. I think that this round is going to be very refreshing and exciting. You know, after the game yesterday, I said to our audience, I'm just so thankful we got through 60 games. I mean, this thing was an absolute, not only physical grind, but it was a mental grind on everybody. And And the way it started with the Marlins and the Cardinals, Weren't you just thankful that we got through the 60? No, no question. And I think it is important to, to take a breath, look back, and right realize there's a lot of naysayers out there, there's a lot of people. And look, I, I'm not saying I, I have some perfect solution. I don't. Um, shut down, try to be safe. It was catastrophic loss of life. Um, then it's like, all right, at what point uh, can you go back outside? At what point can you start living your life? Should businesses open up, including baseball? Can it be played safely? Um, so all these things, all these terrible fears did not come to pass uh, for Major League Baseball, did not cause some major epidemic. There was a number of shutdowns through the season, but they managed to get through them, managed to get through it safely. And you're right. It brought about a sense of normalcy. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're getting to the playoffs now. I think everybody's in the same boat, you know, uh, whether your kids are in school or you have, uh, you know, kids that are working that are laid off or you've been laid off or anything else, you, you know, with each month, you hope we get closer to the end of it and we get through it. And this is a, this is part of it that baseball was able to get through with no fans through all the obstacles and still make it through and play, you know, a good brand of major league baseball on a daily basis. Yeah. Mark Kotze filled in for Bob Melvin the other day. And we recently just had Mark on. We talked about how 60 was the right number. Cause he thinks 
He thinks anything above 60 would have been too much, that they barely got through this, and it's now time for the playoffs. So for all the people that didn't like 60 hmm. games and thought it wasn't enough, it actually was the right number. And we thought that the A's were going to – all along we're going to take on the Astros. And then as I'm watching that, doing my show yesterday, watching that Reds-Twins game, and next thing you know, it completely flipped on us. Here we go, Brian. It's the White Sox and the A's. Not a lot of people saw that coming. Yeah, I, the, the seating is crazy, and I truly don't know if any of it matters. Um, I mean, I think I think the Blue Jays are a, are are a bit below, but other than that, I mean, you know, the Astros are no cakewalk. They're down at the moment. They're not as powerful as they were as they were certainly, but I don't know. That's in the American League. In the National League, yeah, Brewers are a little weaker. Reds have a great starting rotation. Marlins shouldn't be that good, but other than that, like I, I don't. Other than the Dodgers. You know what I'm saying? Other than the Dodgers, yeah. I think it's it's kind of a crapshoot in a best of three that anybody can beat anybody. Yeah, I've been saying, going back to your uh, boxing background, I've been saying everybody's got a puncher's chance. No question. I mean, any t- in Major League Baseball, a best of three, we see it on a regular basis. Uh, the weakest teams can beat the best teams. I hope we get some normalcy. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see it be completely random, um, but I think for this year, I'm fine with all of it. I don't know if I want to dig this deep on a regular basis moving forward. I know this year opens up a lot of possibilities, but we ran the numbers and like your average division champion wins 96 games. Your average wild card wins 93. I think your average second wild card wins 90. So the way we have the playoffs configured now, we get nothing but good teams. And now if you do go to eight, let's just say you love this playoff format and this week is really exciting, which it will be. Uh, but if you get down to eight, now you're dealing with 500 clubs, 82 win teams. I don't know if I'd like to do that. So I don't know if this is the way to go forward, but it will be fascinating to see how it looks when it plays out. Well, the A's are built with their bullpen. We know you like bullpens. And that's one thing that I think about when you talk about this time of the year, what could be the number one asset? What do you think about that A's bullpen? Oh, no, it's outstanding. And they're, look, they're fluid. They're flexible. Um, they're in attack mode. Look, if, if the A's had Matt Chapman, they, they might be a favorite in this whole thing. I, I think, you know, A's, Rays, Dodgers play a brand of baseball that is very conducive to tournament play. You know, a, a quick best of three, you know, take a couple of days off, come back, now play with no days off. You're going to have to use your whole staff. So that's where you're going to see how, how strong is your entire club, because unlike in years past, you're not going to have all these days where you can hone in on like the, the nationals last year, they had six pitchers going the Indians when they uh, got to game seven of the world series against the Cubs, you know, they had narrowed it down to three or four starters and that's it. Like three main starters. Uh, you can't do that this year. What is your favorite first round matchup? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I hadn't thought that through. I mean, I guess I like Yankees and Indians, the pitching staff against that lineup. Um, but everything has something going for it. I thought we were going to get Yankees and Rays. That would have been a hoot. Um, but I don't, I'd, I'd say that that's my number one that I would go with. Um, and White Sox and A's is probably right below that in terms of excitement. I, I think, yeah, that's my one, too. Well, that's I mean, you think about the Indians, you start you talk about pitching. I mean, their offense isn't great, but when you can pitch the way they do, they got a shot. Oh, yeah. Again, and you're talking short series. It's two out of three. 
Uh, you get a win out of Shane Bieber. If you have Bieber versus Cole to open things up, um, you know, quickly we're going to see, you know, teams win game one. You know, somebody's got to win game one. And the other team is like facing the end immediately after one game. It's going to be intense. Um, I, I, again, I'm not crazy about this format, like going forward for this year, though. This is great. And I, I want to know about you, but one of my favorite days of the year is always that day where you can get like all those division series games and maybe have four of them in a single day where you start at one o'clock and then you go through the entire day and then you're watching games at midnight. Uh, I always remember that with the Mets going up against Barry Bonds, John Franco being brought in to face Barry Bonds at, like, at midnight after I've watched games for 12 hours. I, I'm looking forward to that these next few days. Well, the announcement has just been made. The A's are going with Jesus Lazardo in game one. Brian, this kid is electric, but he does not have a, a long resume whatsoever. Didn't pitch a ton in the minor leagues. He was babied. He's had a couple good games here this year, but he still has an ERA under four, uh, excuse me, over four. What do you think about the A's going with Jesus Lazardo to start game one? You know, I don't have as much of a read on it as you would as to their other choices and where they would go. Uh, maybe it's matchup based uh, with a left-hander. Uh, maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's rest. Maybe it's where they are now. It's not like he's on some incredible run. Um, so I, I would say Bob Melvin has a better handle on that than what I'm watching. I, I, I don't have like some informed opinion on, you know, what is he thinking and where should he go next? You know, I've been saying this to my audience don't let anybody tell you that this is a cheapened season. These guys have gone through COVID-19. They've gone through social justice, the injustice, I should say. Uh, at one point, we were worried about a hurricane when the A's were going to Houston. Then the air quality out here that's been so bad because of all the horrible fires. I think whoever wins this championship playing on neutral sites and whatever, I'll look at, you know, like 1981, we just had Steve Garvey and, and Rick, Sut Rick Sutcliffe on the program. They still cherish that World Series. I think whoever wins this, they'll be so mentally tough, it'll be amazing. I agree. Uh, everybody knew the rules going in. It wasn't like it was some season that suddenly ended and, oh, they were in first place, they're the champ. Everybody knew the rules going in. Everybody knew it was, a, it was uh, maybe not a sprint, but a 10K, uh, where it wasn't going to be the usual marathon, but you're going to have to get after it. And again, 60 games, yeah, small sample size, but you know, day after day, you saw the teams that were able to cope, saw the teams that were able to thrive in this situation, saw the teams that were able to stay out of trouble, teams that were getting themselves into trouble. So it was a big mental game. It was also a test to these organizations on how strong they were top to bottom in dealing with difficult situations and being professional. And so I agree 100%. Whoever wins this is going to have earned an actual you know, seasonal World Series championship. You know, how bad is it for our game? that our best player never gets to play on the big stage. You know, the way LeBron does in the NBA or Michael Jordan back in the day, Bird Magic. In football, can you imagine Joe Montana or Tom Brady, John Elway, Patrick Mahomes never playing in the playoffs? Just how bad is it is that our number one guy, Mike Trout, we know, we've only seen him in the fall once. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I guess I grew up watching baseball where that happened. Um, where it was normal sometimes that you didn't make the playoffs. I think anybody just watching baseball over the last, you know, 20 years, I guess you would say, no, we're, you know, at most of the best players make the playoffs. 
Um, it, it would be strange in that in this era, most of the top players get significant reps in the postseason. So Mike Trout getting next to nothing is strange and unfortunate. But I, again, I'm older. So I'm used to, you know, Ernie Banks never got into the World Series. Ted Williams made one. It was just part of it that it was rare. It was uh, exclusive making the playoffs. I know it's not nearly as exclusive now, and it's a shame. And you're right. It does hurt the game that we don't have, like, uh, you know, Mike Trout on display in October. But, uh, yeah, I don't have some great solution. You know, and I know he's not griping about it. He's comfortable there. He thrives there. So what's he supposed to do about it? Yeah, and he's making a good living, no question. I wish you could see my DVR. So my DVR, it's like the mass singer, it's dancing with the stars, it's like Survivor, it's all and then there's MLB now. I get one show and right <laughs> wow. there on my DVR, I get it every day and when you guys are on, it's my favorite show and it's lumped in with all these reality shows. <laughs> that, well, I'm I'm honored. I know even at my house, like we're always at 99% full. I don't know why, like how that happens. But like my wife will be looking at me saying, all right, it's MLB now or the Honeymooners. What's got to go? And I'm like, oh, no, not the Honeymooners. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. <laughs> BK, so, no, you're honored the best. That you're my favorite. Uh, I love watching your shows. And I tell you every single time we steal from you because your information is it's the best baseball show going on television. So we really appreciate it. And I know my audience loves uh, loves watching you. Enjoy the playoffs. Hopefully we we'll can talk later on during the playoffs. And we'll be watching you on, on the MLB Network. Excellent. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Ah, BK's the best. But this right here, this takes the cake. We got Ray Fossey with Ken Hawk Harrelson. Of course, Ken, longtime TV voice of the Chicago White Sox, just received the Ford C. Frick Award winner, so he's now a Hall of Famer. Here's Ray and the Hawk. Is this the Hawk, Master? Who's this? Hey, this is Ray Fossey, Hawk. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I couldn't get you. I guess hold. Let me cut the TV down. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> it's a remote. Okay. It says volume down. It says volume down. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Let me tell you what. I hate this. They bought me uh, this TV, a new one for my birthday, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you you get to sit you get to sit in your recliner and watch all your That's programs. That's it. That's, That's it. And I got well. You're on an hour. 10 minutes before I have my first uh, vodka and tonic. Well, Hawk, you're, you're on A's cast. Chris Townsend, of course, is, is here. And, and Cody Lyons, who called you, the Commander Cody. Cody, very happy to have you on board today. Did you, uh, did you watch the game yesterday? I'm sure you did between uh, your, your White Sox and the A's. Yeah, I saw most of it. I saw most of it. I uh, it, it was Giolito. You know, if he's if he's spotting this fastball with that changeup he's come up with, he's he's devastating. I mean, he really is. Uh, you being a former All Star catcher, you know what I'm talking about. You know, the best pitch in baseball is well located fastball. It's not a curveball. It's not a slider. And uh, if he's fighting that fastball, and then he came up with that changeup last year, which brought him back in. Two years ago, he was voted the worst pitcher in Major League Baseball. Yeah. And last year, he was one of the best. But our club, now, I don't know if, if you guys know this stat or not. I'm sure you do. But our club this year, 
overall, I think, is 18-0 and 0 against left-handed starters. Well, it's, it was 14-0, and 0, now 15-0, and 0, but you're exactly right. And then I'm Tim Anderson. Yeah. Yeah, but Tim Anderson, when, Tim Anderson said when he found out Lazardo was pitching, he said, thank you. And that was before the game. And Lazardo, Lazardo's good, Hawk, and he's going to be good. But, you know, I want to ask you about, and you mentioned Giolito. As a great hitter that you were, a big home run hitter, when he throws the ball now, short arms it behind his right ear, how much do you think that affects hitters? How much is that something that you as a hitter could take notice and, and be able to recognize the pitch and, and be able to hit a pitch coming out of his hand the way it does now? No, I hated short armors. You know, it, uh, it, short armors, they were about six inches quicker than they looked, you know, from the side. And uh, I remember the sixth game of the World Series, we were playing the Cardinals and uh, it's about the seventh or eighth inning, and they brought in this left-hander to pitch to Yastrzemski. So his name was Horner, Joe Horner, not yep. uh, Horner. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and so Yaz yeah, comes over to me. Yaz has never seen him. He says, "You know this guy?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "He's sneakier in hell." I said, "He's he's about six inches quicker than he looks." He said, "Well, I got no more than that." So we went over, and Sal Magley was the pitching coach who had the scouting report on the Cardinals that Frank Malzone had done. He said, "What you got on Horner?" He, Thumbs to it. He gets to it. He starts all left-handed hitters off with a low fastball to get a hit. He has looked at me, pointed a finger in my face, and said, that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> the First pitch he threw a low fastball, and he hit it about 15 rows over that bullpen out there in right center field. <laughs> and wow. I'll never forget this. I'm sitting in the on-deck circle, and I'm saying, I'm talking to my my buddy Hawk. You know, he's a, he's my best friend. And I said, Hawk, that's, that's what it takes to be a hitter. We'll never get there. <laughs> yeah, no, you, 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 <laughs> but but you know, I think of Keith Folk, who was with your with your Sox, and right. with, with the A's, and with the the Red Sox, he had that short. He was a former catcher. And he had that short arm delivery, but behind right. his ear, he had the greatest changeup. So when you talk about Giolito, how much the fastball that you can't see, but the changeup when he throws it like Keith Folk did, I mean, it was devastating yesterday. And and then he throws his sure. breaking ball, which is even so. Then how much more difficult is it knowing that he's got the good fastball and now the changeup in that same velocity? That I mean, that same uh, slot. Well, you know, you you know yourself, and you as I said, you were a hell of a good hitter, especially prior to getting that shoulder injured. You know, with the collision with Rose. But uh, you can tell me a guy throws 100 miles an hour. I don't care. You can tell me he's got a right. great curveball. I don't care because if he gets it over, I'm not going to do anything with it anyway. And you can tell me he's got a great slider. I don't care because if he hits the spot with it, then, you know, I'm going to grab some bench. But you tell me he's got a change up. Now, I guess my wheel's turning. And you're exactly right. Boy, that, that change up that Keith had and also Giolito's come up with. And, you know, we got a great uh, pitching coach in Don Cooper. Yep. Don gave a change up. And it was they had some really good camera work there yesterday, too, because you could see the tumble on that change up, you know, when it came yep. out of his hand. And uh, you can't, you know, especially left-handed hitters, strong left-handed hitters, you know, that does that wear their ass out. Yeah. You know, you know Hawk, I, I mentioned yesterday on the radio, Don Cooper is an institution in Chicago. Like you said, he's a tremendous pitching coach. And in 2018, Giolito was struggling a little bit, and Coop went out and aired him out. He aired him out. And, and all of a sudden, 
I mean, Giolito's like a sponge, it sounds like. I don't know him, but it sounds like he's a sponge, and he'll take whatever is told him. But when Coop aired him out, of course, Coop said, no, nah, I was just trying to encourage him to do something. You know yourself, having seen Coop all these years, that he, if he airs somebody out, he's not being nice to him, right? No. You know, one of my favorite things to do uh, to do was in spring training was go down and watch Cooper work with our, our good young pitching prospects. And yeah. and I'd stand there, I'd stand there because he'd be behind the screen talking to him, you know. And I'd I'd be standing with Coop, and some of the things he would say, I'll tell you what, I just it just buckled my knees. I went right to the ground because he <laughs> aired their ass out. I'm telling you, he would get on you, <laughs> and that's one reason, you know. He, he Coop, that's one reason. You're right, he's an institution. Uh, you know, it's hard to say anybody's the best in baseball in anything, but I, he Coop's in that category of. Uh, you can tie him, but you can't beat him. Yeah. Hey, Hawk, today, Chris Bassett, former White Sox pitcher, pitches for the A's today. Now, watching Giolito before he became that short-arm pitcher, he had that big, long-arm delivery like Bassett does now. But the thing that Bassett will do occasionally, kind of on his own, we were talking before you came on, even with nobody on base, if he feels his mechanics are off, he'll go to the stretch to kind of minimize the mechanics and maximize his effort. As a hitter, seeing that long-arm delivery and the fact that he can drop his, his, his uh, variation on his fastball from 93-94 to 68-69 with a curveball, but then also change his mechanics by going out of the stretch with nobody on, as a hitter yourself, what will that do to you? And what do you think, say, the White Sox today facing him will be able to, to try to do against him. Well, I hope he goes from the stretch. I'll tell you that right now because you as a hitter and, and me as a hitter, I love to face guys out of the stretch. Abreu, yeah. Abreu just, he just munches up on guys. You know, that's the reason he's got so many RBIs. He gets these guys from the stretch. And I used to I used to tell Reggie Smith, who was our center fielder and a great center fielder, and he had great speed. And I used to tell Reggie, if you, you know, because I – uh, Mike Andrews uh, hit first, Reggie hit second, yes, hit third, I hit fourth. And I, if Reggie got on, I'd tell him, don't go. I want to get this guy out of the stretch. And yeah. uh, and I, and I, we got a guy out there today, though, that's got that changeup we were just talking yep. about. You know, You're right. He's, You're right. I'll tell you what, he's a competitor, and he is 10 points. And if he's yeah. right, you guys are in for a tough day. Now, uh, I haven't seen, you know, Bassett that much, but I'll tell you one thing right now. He better be on the top of his game, especially if he's going to work out of the stretch. Well, he, he does go back and forth, but that's a good point that you make about that. But, you know, Hawk, I want to ask you, too, and you just mentioned a pretty good lineup, the, the Boston Red Sox, with Yaz hitting in front of you, you hitting fourth. You know, they've talked about Abreu uh, and how Jason Benetti talked about his mother, Abreu, said, you know, why aren't you working, playing every day? But he is surrounded, and all of a sudden, the White Sox, one through nine, are a very good hitting ball club. From the hitter standpoint, having the supporting cast, how much does it help you as a hitter? How much does it take some of the pressure off you as a hitter, knowing that maybe you're the guy, but now they have to be concerned about everybody else? Well, you can be protected two ways. Certainly, who's hitting behind you, you know, uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, the year I led the major leagues in RBIs, uh, I, if Frank Howard, who was playing with Washington at that time, 
if Hondo had been playing with the Red Sox hitting in my spot, he'd have probably driven in 150 runs. Yeah. Because in Washington, yeah. he, you know, he had Bernie Allen and a couple of Eddie Brinkman hitting in front of him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that says that that tells you all, all you got to know right there. So yeah. It, it, yeah. the thing about yeah. our club, though, is I had some writers call me yesterday. And I've said this for a while now. When Tim Anderson goes well, we play great. When he struggles, yeah. we struggle. Because he's the guy, you know, about 65% of the time, the team that scores first wins that ball game. And when we were winning all those games early on, Timmy was going, you know, two for three, three for four, uh, and mixing in a home run every now and then, you know, leading off. But uh, you want to get on the board, and the best manager, you guys got one of the greatest managers in baseball. You know, you've been talking, you've been telling me about Bobby, you know, forever. How long just, and I, I really – uh, you know, love talking baseball with you because of the fact you know what you're talking about. I don't like to talk baseball with people who just guess or who or, or never had a jock strap on. You know, I like to yeah. tell talk baseball with guys who've been out there who know in the heat how easy it is to fail. You know, That's and right. I think I mentioned this story to you about Jack Nicholas when we were playing golf after I retired. He said, Dad, he said, Hawk, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, uh, that year you led in the major leagues and RBIs. Did you ever go up to the plate with a man on third and less than two out and choke? I said, hell yeah, I did. I said, everybody chokes. He said, I'm glad you said it because I choke. And this is Jack Nicholas saying, I choke. Wow. And, you know, pressure is the biggest killer performance, Muley. You know that. It's the yeah. biggest killer performance. The reason I call him for your audience out there, Muley, is because <laughs> Ray Fox is as strong as a mule. <laughs> that was his nickname, Muley. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, the way I, the way I handle pressure was when, with Hawk, I used to talk to him and I'd say, all right, you know, uh, Yaz would be at the plate, men on second or third, whatever, in a big ball game. And he'd pop up and strike out, which he did not do very often, but he would, I'd say, all right, Hawk, uh, let's get up here. We gotta go. We gotta go to work now. And I put all that pressure on him, but at least I recognized it. And if you yeah. have pressure, I mean, you feel it, you better embrace it. You better recognize it because if you don't, that pressure will eat your ass alive and you know it. And yeah. that's what happens when you get, when you get pitchers, you know, the greatest, I played against Mickey Mantle and, you know, Willie Mays and, you know, all those guys as you did. And the greatest offensive player I have ever played against or never seen, I didn't play against, but I ever saw was Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson was the greatest offense player I ever saw because he put so much pressure, especially on young pitchers, to say yeah. he just crumpled a lot of those guys. Yeah, you're right because you walk him, it's a triple. <laughs> you know? And if you yeah. do a fastball, it, it's a home run. Hawk, you know, you mentioned the audience, and, you know, for this A's cast audience, you know, they may be thinking about Messer Smith and McNally as the first free agents. And, of course, free agency right now is, is very common. People may not realize that you were the first free agent in baseball. I think it was 1967 when you were with the Kansas City A's before they yeah. became the Oakland A's. And you became a free agent because of your love for Charlie Finley. <laughs> and yeah. you, became a, you became a Boston Red Sox. Tell us about the right. story. And, and the most important thing is how it did, uh, what it did for your career to leave Kansas City and go to the Boston Red Sox and play with guys like Reggie Smith and Carl Yastrzemski and others on that Red Sox team. Yeah, George Scott, we had some thunder. You know, yeah. Rico Petrocelli, 
Well, I was with Kansas City, and we were in Washington, and Charlie Finley fired Alvin Dark, who you played for Alvin. And right. uh, and so I, I really got pissed off because we knew we were going to be a heck of a ball club. I was at first base. Dick Green was the second. Campy was at uh, short. Sal Banda was at third. We had Joe Rudy in left. We had Rick Mundy in center, Reggie Jackson in right. And we had some good arms that were coming up. And right. we knew that club was going to be a monster. And it turned out to be once they moved in 68 to Oakland because they won five consecutive divisional titles and three consecutive world championships. And they were only the second team in Major League history to win three consecutive world championships. And you'll never see that again. But yep. the way I got was I was going really going good. I was red hot. And and uh, when I when he fired Alvin Dark, nobody was saying anything. So finally, I just snapped. And I, the writers came over to me, and I just wore Charlie Finley. Charlie Finley was Okay, we, you know it, and I know it. Everybody knew it. Everybody who played for him knew it. And then he, he got upset with it. He called me the next morning. We went to Baltimore the, the next after that game. And he said, son, he said, what are you trying to do? And I treated you like a, like a son. I said, no, sir, Mr. Finley, you have not. He said, well, I've fixed up a, a press conference there at the Lord Baltimore Hotel where we're staying. He said, for noon, and I want a full retraction of everything you said. And I said, Mr. Finley, I'm not going to track one word I said. And boy, when I said that, he started cussing me out. Finally, he said, I'll call you back in 30 minutes. And he slammed down the phone. Now, at the time, I was making $12,000 a year. And and the only guy swinging the bat at that particular time than I was, was Yastrzemski. And that was 67. That was when they had what they call the greatest pennant race in the history of the game. They had yeah. the Red Sox, White Sox, Tigers, and Twins all within one game of each other with about, what, four or five weeks to go. You remember that. Exactly. And so I was making I was making $12,000 a year. And then he called me back about 20 minutes later, and he says, well, as of this moment, you are no longer a member of the Green and Gold, and he slammed down the phone. And I, uh, Mike Hershberger was my room, uh, roomie, and uh, Hershberger said, what did he say? I said, he just released me. He said, you lucky son of a guy. <laughs> 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 well, to make a long story short, two days later, I, was, I got $150,000 from the Red Sox. Which <laughs> with, with Mr. Yawkin. Hey, Hawk, I got to ask you this. I want to get on your vodka tonic schedule. When can we start having vodka tonics? <laughs> well, let me tell you something. This this retirement is overrated. It's, that's no. This is overrated. I got two kinds of days. At at uh, at four o'clock, I'll have my first Smirnoff and tonic. Okay, on Monday through Friday. Then on Saturdays and Sundays, if it's a good TV day, and today is going to be a good TV day because of the game, I'll have my first uh, Smirnoff and tonic at two o'clock. So. You know, that's that's my schedule now. Instead of getting up and going to play golf or whatever, I'll just sit here. On my, I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of Walker, Texas Ranger, and a lot of – I've got uh, – America's Got Talent. I've fallen in love with that show, and I'm watching Gunsmoke right now. I love J. Morris Barnett. <laughs> and I'm getting blisters. I'm getting blisters on my butt. <laughs> that's Hawk, you're a good man. <laughs> Uh, you're good, man. Hog, before I let you go, you have to tell the story again. How you for those again, Hawk Harrelson was the first to wear batting gloves in Major League Baseball. 
tell the story, Hawk, because a lot of people don't realize they see everybody wear gloves. They see they see more players wearing gloves and very few not wearing gloves. George Brett stands out as one who does it. It's rare. But tell the story quickly about the batting gloves, how it started with you, and how other greats looked at you and said, wow, that looks pretty good. All right. Well, first of all, I was I was platooning at the time in Kansas City, and uh, I was making uh, $6,000 a year, which was the minimum. So, you know, my first two years in the big leagues, I made more money playing golf, shooting pool, and arm wrestling than I did playing Major League Baseball. <laughs> so you got to supplement your income when you're making $6,000 a year and you're spending thirty. So Ed Bolton and I used to play Sammy Esposito and Gino Simoli. We used to play on the $25 in Nassau. And we went out and we played this thing. And we beat them out of a lot of money. And I go to the ballpark night, at night. Uh, the Yankees were in town. And they were going to pitch Jim Coates, who was a hard-throwing right-hander. So I wasn't going to play. Well, I get to the ballpark, and the Yankees switch. They're going to pitch Whitey Ford. Well, I go to take batting practice, and I got this blister from playing 27 holes that day. And I had come right from the golf course to the ballpark, and I remembered I had my golf glove and my jeans upstairs. So when the game started, I had this flaming red golf glove, and I come out for that golf glove because of that blister on my left hand. And don't you know Whitey hung me a curveball, and I hit it right over that 421 sign out there in Kansas City. And then I hit another one later on off Pete Mickelson later in that game. So I had two home runs. But when I came to the plate the first time with that flaming red golf of the Yankees were all over me. <laughs> I can't tell you over the air what they were calling me. But they were calling me names. And all of a sudden, after I hit that second home run, they didn't say anything. Well, the next day, the Yankees come out. You know how in Kansas City in the old ballpark, you had to come down that long runway to get to the field yeah. from the visiting clubhouse. All the Yankees had red golf gloves on. Mickey had mantle had <laughs> Mickey had to go out and buy two dozen flaming red golf gloves. And that's how it got started. That's a great story. That's a great story. Tony, I don't know if you ever heard that story or not, but no. you know, you could say you could say what you want about free agency and batting gloves. You just listen to the man who started both of those. Free the agency. Ray, the, the Hall, Hall of Famer, Famer the Ford C. No, Frick no, you're, you're exactly right. The Ford Frick, and I can't wait till next summer. I was looking forward to this summer to hear the induction speech. I'll look even more forward to it next year when you go in. Hawk, appreciate your time. Go get that special drink that you have ready to go and watch all kinds of baseball because you, you deserve it. And, and you know what? I keep telling my wife, Carol, I, I know that retirement is not fun. So that's why I enjoy working and talking to good people like Cody and Townie, and especially to have you come on with us today has been very special. Well, listen, you give Carol a big hug and kiss for me, and also, Cody and, and Townie, you're working with a great man. You're working with my own, one of my all-time favorite people, plus a great player, and I enjoyed it, and I've got 51 minutes yet before my first uh, Smirnoff and Tonic. <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Hawk. You like me from the beginning because – I was telling the guys yesterday that High Corbett Field had those backfields, and you you want an extra BP, and you say, bring this kid over because he's a catcher, and he throws good BP with a four-seam fastball. I remember that. I remember that. You, and so uh, – you, you, you finally figured that out, huh? <laughs> uh, Great talking to you uh, guys. Uh, thanks for your time, hey, buddy. Tell Bobby Sullivan I said I'll give him my best, would you? We'll do that. Thanks, Hawk. Okay. Talk to you all later.
it really doesn't get any better than that. That was such a treat. And then to get you ready for this series between the A's and the White Sox, we got to go to the top researcher from ESPN. You see him on Get Up. He is the man, Paul Himbikides, better known as Himbo. The great Paul Himbikides, the great Himbo from ESPN now joins us as we're getting ready for the White Sox and the A's. Game one of the playoffs. Himbo, how are you? My friend. If you had told me on, let's pick a date out of thin air, on May the 15th, that on September the 29th, the three of us would be talking about playoff baseball opening, I would have told you that you were crazy. To be totally frank, at that time, I was asking you trivia questions about Bert Campanaris. We were, you were indoctrinating me into your, into your culture of, of uh, smoking, um, and that I mean grilling, and that has obviously taken over uh, the narrative. But here we are today. We are playing four baseball games today, eight tomorrow, eight the next day. I couldn't be more excited. And if you had told me this would be the case a few months ago, I would not have believed you. But we are here, my friend. We are here. Well, that, there, there's no question because let's be honest. You're in New York. You fled to New Jersey. You fled to Philly. You were right there as COVID-19 was racing across the Northeast. So many people were dying in rest homes and people with uh, – uh, high-risk conditions. I mean, it was some scary, scary times in New York, New Jersey. You were right there. So I, I don't blame you. And I remember when we were talking, I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're not going to have a season. And, and that's why I applaud all 30 teams' presidents, their front offices, the players, and especially Rob Manfred and his staff because they became flexible. They knew they had to be able to make changes on the fly to help them protect players. And I reflected him, but after Sunday's postgame show, I was just like, wow, I can't believe we got through this. I can't believe we got through 60 games. <laughs> I feel similarly. Um, I, in, in the last couple of days, as you can imagine, I have like a madman been sending around uh, notes to all different broadcast crews here at ESPN because we have most of the games on our family of networks. And at one point, I did the same thing that you were doing. I'm like, here I am talking about Shane Bieber's slider, whereas like five months ago, like that was never even possibly, this was never even a possibility. So like, I, I think it's easy now to be living in the moment, but I think for most baseball fans, what today signifies, obviously, we're not, the, we're not at the end yet. Like obviously we haven't, you know, had the chance to go through this postseason. We have gotten to a place where like many people in the media never thought that we could. And when I sit down and I watch a baseball game today at two o'clock and then I watch yours and then I watch the games throughout the course of the next week, like I'm going to enjoy them more than ever because I never thought for a long stretch that we'd, we'd get here today. But I'm like you, man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm nostalgic today and I like it. Yeah. Before we get into baseball, just how scary is this breaking news about the Titans having to shut down their facility with COVID tests? COVID-19 positive test, I should say, and then the Vikings, because they played them, they've got to shut down their facility. We saw how this worked with the Marlins and the Cardinals. Uh, the NFL's a different deal. You can't play doubleheaders. Are you worried? Yes, of course I'm worried. Uh, and, and, and you uh, identify the reasons why. This is, a, this is a case in which you can't, like the Cardinals, schedule a bunch of doubleheaders. You can play at most one game a week or one game in every Span of five days. Obviously, with the the NFL does build, uh, you know, by weeks into their schedule, but they didn't do extra this year, even though some people thought that they should. They they did a normal 17 week, 16 game season, which was uh, at minimum risky. And now, so far, they've done a really good job of keeping these things under wraps. But 
as we've learned from the uh, super spreader nature of this virus, it's sort of a, fo a force multiplier. And you can you can do all your due diligence, you can go through all the correct procedures, and what you can't do is predict human behavior. What you can't do is you know live the lives of every one of these people. So I am, uh, of course, I'm scared. Uh, we, we lived this. There was a time in which we were, I was watching the Marlins beat the Phillies that week and thinking to myself, is this the last baseball game I'm going to see? Is this thing going to you know finish before it starts? Luckily enough, I think the NFL has enough money at their disposal that they'll be able to just push their way through this. But yeah, I think there's a really good chance this could get ugly. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I'm with you. Uh, it's a very different, very different animal from baseball because of the way that the game is played. All right, spit some nuggets out for me. A's, White Sox. Okay, so this is the matchup inside the matchup for this series. Obviously, the A's have some pitchers who can gas it up. But I'm warning you. Try and overpower this White Sox lineup at your own risk, okay? Against pitches thrown 95 miles per hour or faster. I'm talking premium velocity here. The White Sox batted 324 as a team with a 574 slugging percentage. Most of those figures, my friend, are the highest in a season during the pitch tracking era. You also know that Oakland establishes fastball more than any team in the playoff field. They're a fastball throwing team. This is a critical matchup in this game. Not to suggest that you know your pitchers aren't going to use their secondary stuff like they always do, but the notion that you can gas up these guys is not the case. The uh, White Sox swing and miss at a really high rate. Rate their swinging strike rate is the highest among any team in the playoff field. They swing. They swing from their heels. Obviously, that sort of generates a lot of swings and misses, a lot of a lot of strikeouts, but also a lot of home runs. If I am, uh, if I if I'm pitch calling to you guys uh, over the next few days. What I'm absolutely not doing is getting big eyes, seeing these swings and misses, looking to elevate uh, fastballs in, in the middle of a plate because these guys don't always miss them. They, there's a bunch of uh, young live bats, big time bat speed in this lineup. I would be very, I would be very careful in in using fastball the same way that you guys have for most of the season because this White Sox lineup is no joke and they hit velocity better than any lineup in baseball. You know what's so surprising about this series is. Hmm. The way both these teams kind of limped in at the very end. You know, at one point, the White Sox on September 18th had the number one seed in the American League. Think about that. And then all of a sudden lost eight of ten. Then they lost seven of eight. And they limped in. And, of course, the way the, way the A's were hitting, they kind of limped in. They Well, and one of the things for the A's, they had all the double headers there, and they played so many games at the very end. You know what's you know what's tough to judge right now, Hembo is is mm. I really think a lot of these teams are exhausted right now. No question about it. There's and, and and what will only exacerbate that is a number another number that I have for you, which I think will play a major factor in your series, considering the quality and the depth of your bullpen. Let's face it. The bullpen is that's the best part of your team. And if and if you make a deep run during this postseason, that's gonna be the biggest reason why, in my judgment. But in doing some research over the last three seasons or so, the last three postseasons, what I learned was that bullpen performance, just by using ERA, bullpen ERA inflated by eighty percent over the last three years on games in which there were zero days rest, which is to say game two and a potential game three of your series and every series, we're gonna see these bullpens potentially blow gap games. So it is, it is critical not to get too, like not, 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 not for these managers to get too toll happy. So obviously if, if Jesus is, is, is dealing and gets in a little bit of trouble in the fourth inning, 
Whereas in a normal situation, obviously this would certainly be the case in the wild card game as you guys have, have been used to. But otherwise, I, I, w- I would encourage managers not to be, have an overly quick hook. You're still playing the long game. You still got to lose twice. In my judgment, you still have to plan out using your bullpen like you would in any three-game series during the regular season. And the numbers indicate that when managers get crunched in the postseason, at least recently, these bullpens get burned and get burned bad. Yeah, because there's kind of a, a theory of, well, the one thing about a starter going deep, if he can go deep, you now save your bullpen guys, especially your best bullpen guys, for the next couple games. And then there's the theory is, if you get down X amount of runs, you know, sometimes you just have to say, I'm going to punt this one and live another, if it's not an elimination game, live another day and save my best bullpen guys for the next couple of days. Yeah, especially today. So let, let, let's say, God forbid, you're down 7-1 to one in the fifth inning. For my money, it is not wise in, in any stretch to play to win game one. And it, it just isn't based on the win probability. There's, this, is, uh, this is an issue that we obviously face during the regular season. It's a big reason why we get some position players pitching. And that is possible here. It is absolutely possible here that, that teams in games one or game two potentially will use uh, sort of uh, – subscribe to that notion but when you combine like you said the um when you consider the the the, the, the over the over the course of recent history the fact that these pitchers just get burned so badly uh when they're pitching with zero days rest and you consider and you also consider this the, the obvious fact that you're not going to come down from five six seven runs especially if the other team is both healthy so i'm with you it's a really interesting factor we've really never seen teams punt postseason games before, but you could definitely see it now, especially early in a postseason in which you have to go so deep to have any success at all. 13 wins for the ring, Hembo. 13. Thir- 13 wins for the ring. Now, one question Buster asked me today on the podcast, which I'll now ask you, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this a good bit, so uh, apologies in advance if you've already treaded this round, but because of how well the White Sox hit left-handed pitching, and to be clear, they rake against left-handed pitching. They rake against velocity. Were you surprised with their decision uh, to start who they did in game one? Absolutely not. And is now, that because you is, – is, is, that, is that because he's used – Jesus says he, he is your best guy, and, 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 it ma- and it matters more that you're throwing your best guy rather than whatever oppo research you're getting from the other side. No. I just know how I know how this front office works. If it was me, I'd be starting Chris Bassett, who I don't know if you saw was just the American League pitcher of the month and yeah. had unbelievable numbers and he's the hot hand. I would have gone with him, but they've been in love with this kid for a while. They think he's just a plus plus stuff guy and their true belief is and it kind of is true if you go and like look at it this number of 14 and 0 they're they're not beating Sandy Koufax and Randy Johnson and Warren Spahn they're beating a bunch mm-hmm. of left-handed stiffs so uh you look at the numbers they're kind of skewed i think that's how they feel about it uh but if it was me i wouldn't be starting a 22 year old in game 1 i would go with the hot hand chris bassett in game 1 but i but, but when you you asked me the question am i surprised mm-hmm. they're going with jesus Lazardo? my answer is no Got it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. The By blanketing all left-handed pitchers under the same umbrella, you're obviously sort of watering down the statistic. It's fair It's fair to say that that's, like you said, they're not beating Spawn, they're not beating Fofax. These are sort of grip-and-rip types. These are guys that are swinging from their heels. And against some of these 
sort of soft growing um, lefties. They've had a they've had a good they've had a good a good measure of of success. Another theory that I've heard thrown around there is that you should start your best pitcher in game two of this best of three series because of the way that it sets you up for the future. And if you are indeed playing the long game, that's, that is the way to go, which is another interesting way of looking at it. I think it was John Smoltz who, who has uh, suggested as much on, on uh, some of his uh, media hits recently. I wonder if that's part of the E's formula at all, too, is, is you're playing, like you're sort of, out, like you said, outlining this to win 13 games. You're not outlining this to win a series collecting your breath, and then trying to go win another series. Okay. I totally understand that. And I kind of, we bantered around, what would you, you know, of course, what three? And we've been talking about, you know, who, who, would, who should we start? Who should not start? And I said, I understand Bassett going in game two, because technically if you lose game one, game two is now an elimination game, and you got your right. best guy going. What exactly is Smoltz's theory, the long game, of why to start your best pitcher game two? Well, I mean, the foundation of, uh, of it is what you're saying here. I mean, it's that you're getting your, your number one to uh, either pitch the elimination game uh, for you or against you, right? But also, you're, because of how, because of how the, the off days are structured, you can, I mean, you, you'd theoretically be able to use your, one, your game one pitcher out of the pen um, early in the next series, or um, I guess, I guess, depending, I suppose it would depend mostly on the game one result, obviously. So I think the way that, I think the way that you put it is, is the right way to put it. Now, I don't know if that's what the A's line of thinking is. I don't know if the A's line of thinking is here. We want to put Bassett in game two because that game matters, will certainly matter more. But it's an interesting way of looking at it because obviously, historically, in, in best of fives and best of seven, you stack your best pitcher on game one and you hope to throw him three times in a best of seven. That obviously is not the case here, but I do think there might be a school of thought in which that works. Now we haven't really seen teams do that though. Like obviously that we're going to see Shane Bieber and Garrett Cole go in game one for, you know, in their series, but so perhaps that sort of conventional wisdom doesn't apply, but it is, it is a theory that fascinated me and perhaps the A's are getting ahead of it by throwing one of the hottest pitchers in, in the sport in game two. And we'll see how that sets you up for, you know, for the next round. I do know this. If you win game one, the odds of you winning the series go dramatically up. <laughs> well, of course. The thing is, it's so, it's so interesting because we just never play best of threes in baseball. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of us that wish that the original wild card conceit uh, was this very thing. Obviously, that the, the, the wild card game has been you and many other really, really good baseball teams over the years. So I do think this is sort of a nice... Uh, experimental thing. Obviously, winning game one is goes 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 a really long way, but winning two baseball games consecutively is also not that hard to do either. So that, that that's this is the whole thing is going to be sort of throwing paint against the wall. Like there's going to be some team that finds some inefficiency here or is planning on an inefficiency that will that will become so obvious after the fact. And your club is one that I could see doing it. I think the way that the Rays use their pitching staff in this series is going to be really interesting because of the quality and depth of their arms. And also in doing some research and looking how, how well the Blue Jays hitters uh, hit second, third, fourth time through the order and facing opposing starters. There's just no question, in my opinion, that teams are going to find some sort of these lineup and, and pitching inefficiencies that pop up in a best of three series where it's an elimination type thing. You're not standing on this thing like you are a three-game series in the regular season because winning a series, of course, is the objective. But it's you know it's it's a long series of games. It's just so much different. It's so fun, and frankly, I like it. I think it might work so well that we might see this thing long term. All right, my gambling guy in Vegas is sending me. So the average score in those fourteen games, the White Sox faced the left-handed pitchers, was seven point one 
to 3.4. I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm going to, like, elaborate on that. I'm going to, so I guess they do score a lot of runs against left-handed pitching. Okay, let's move on to, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Yankees, Tribe, That that's the game everybody's going to be, I mean, because that, that, that's a dream pitching matchup you got tonight. It sure is. And I'm going to give you a little preview of this series. I, I think, let's see here, if I'm, if I'm a note for it, I think this series comes down to the home run. At home, at Yankee Stadium, the Yankees homered once in every 15 at-bats this season. That's the best rate of its kind in the history of Major League Baseball. But on the road, where they're, of course, be playing in this series in Cleveland, the Yankees homered once in every 34 at-bats. That rate 27th in the majors this season season my friend the Yankees went two and 14 when failing to hit a home run so to be candid I really like Cleveland in this series if they can keep the, those Yankees bats in the yard just for some context on those numbers like that that gap that margin in, in that home run rate that I just shared is literally the difference between Ted Williams and Derek Bell like that is <laughs> Ted Williams homered one in every 15 at bats during his career Derek Bell homered once in every 34 at bats in his career it is not hyperbole to say that no team needed home field advantage more than the Yankees. They didn't get it. And because of that, in large part, I'm picking against them. And we have like, we do know this. So we only know the times of our first two games. Today will be 12.08 Pacific. Uh, tomorrow will be 12.10 Pacific. But everything kind of goes around the Yankees world. Like, let's say the Yankees, if they lost the first two games of the Cleveland Indians and they were out, the whole television, the whole television schedule would completely change. <laughs> That's right. And if, and if the Yankees lost the first two games, I'm sure there would be some heads rolling in New York because of of, of the amount of uh, viewership that would that would decline as a result. But to be clear, like, I think there's a really good chance that the Yankees are in, are in big trouble here. Like I don't, I don't. Perhaps I could be wrong, and there's going to be something, all sorts of things that happen in this year in this postseason that we don't expect. But that's a team right now that I think is in trouble. As you said earlier uh, on our, in our hit that the, the nature in which teams are getting here are so different and so interesting. Like the, the White Sox are the best team in the American League three weeks ago only, like you said. And these are sort of – the difference between the A's and the White Sox, though, is that the A's really haven't been challenged and had such a big lead in their division, whereas the White Sox played a lot of high-leverage high games and played badly in those, very badly in those. So I think that would probably make me feel a little bit better about where you guys stand in relation to sort of as we as we enter this series, the momentum that we used to get here. There's really not a whole lot of data that suggests momentum is a thing in Major League Baseball as far as carrying over from the regular season to the postseason. But the, the way in which the White Sox got here would actually concern me some if I were a fan of that club because they played essentially playoff games down the stretch. All those games mattered for seeding, and they flunked that test miserably. You know, only one of these series in the American League and the National League did a team play each other during the regular season. That's obviously the Rays and the Blue Jays. Everybody else, no one saw each other. So you may have the video, you may have the data and the numbers, but you haven't seen each other, none of these teams. It's a very bizarre dynamic. And so what I did to try and remedy that, since we don't really have hardly any head-to-head data to pull from, is I just did a search of every team, how they performed, every playoff team, I should say, how they performed against every other playoff team. So as you probably know, Oakland only played 16 of its 60 regular season games against playoff teams. They went 9-7 and seven in those games. That was the fifth best record of its time. 
Tampa Bay, for example, they went 21 and nine against the playoff field. They had the best record and most uh, against against teams that made the playoffs. Whereas Houston went four and 13. That that wasn't just the worst record of any team that made the playoffs. The Astros were worse against the playoff field than any team in baseball, and they still got in because of the nature of the postseason. So in the absence of having that data, I try to create some sort of a workaround. So the teams that performed best were the Rays, the Dodgers, the Twins, the Braves, you, and the Padres. The teams that performed worst were Houston, the Yankees, the White Sox, Miami, and Milwaukee. The White Sox went 14-22 and against playoff teams this season that obviously comprised a, a large chunk of their schedule because they were a central team, of course, but they didn't play all that well against the good teams. And if you're like me and believe anything in the, in the notion that strength of schedule does matter in preparing you for a, a sort of a weird season like this, I would find some solace in the fact if I were an A's fan today and knowing that the White Sox didn't do so well uh, against, against teams that are still left standing. All right. Probably the most important thing. How did the spare ribs turn out? The spare ribs were outstanding. I, was, I, I sent you a nice picture on, I think it was a Monday morning or Sunday evening. What I was most proud of was the smoke, the smoke ring that I was yep. able to generate from my beautiful Traeger grill. I spent several hours on Sunday uh, obsessed with them. I, I thought they turned out well. I have to admit, I still prefer the baby backs, and I will probably re- uh, resort to, to the baby backs more often than not. But I'm, right now, I'm just trying everything. I'm using your coaching, your expertise and getting me through this tough time. You know, like right now, right now we, you, you are trained. I'm being prepared for the big leagues. I'm hoping by the next time we reach the postseason, you will put me in coach. But, and I, 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 I've been texting you. I always appreciate your insights. The, the, the recipe that you sent me uh, worked out spectacularly. I cleaned them up in one night. I went to, went to bed on Sunday evening with a way too full stomach, which I'm frankly still sort of suffering from, but it was all worth it. And I'm, I'm glad that you were along for the ride. Hey, and one of the great things about having a Traeger or whatever kind of smoker you have is that people truly, when, when, when you present them good food, they truly appreciate it. Like they like, they're like, oh, this is so good. I mean, it, it, it makes the, the long haul, the, the long hours of smoking, it makes it worth it. <laughs> I agree with you. The journey, the journey is more rewarding than the destination. And anytime someone eats it for the first time, like for me, it's just, it's, it's sort of normal now. Anytime someone else eats it for the first time, it reminds me uh, how how like how nice of a thing this is. I've not been this excited about a new toy since I got like a baseball bat when I was 12 years old. It's my it's my new favorite thing, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait to sit down, watch baseball this weekend, and smoke God knows what. But you know, I'll be texting you, and you know, I'll be watching. Well, I'll tell you, you're going to end up doing all of your Thanksgiving in your Traeger, all your Christmas dinner in your Traeger. Hey, you know, out here in California, it's year round, buddy. Uh, yes, I'd imagine so. I do plan on doing the uh, the turkey this year with the family. I'm already, I, I got, I, this is going to make me sound ridiculous. We bought a backup, not a backup turkey. We bought a turkey in advance. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a, a literally uh, a dress rehearsal with a turkey in my grill before Thanksgiving so people aren't, uh, People aren't forced to eat eat that the first time I try it. So I am I'm going all out. Like the preparation, the, the attention to detail is what matters here. And I think I think you'll be proud. Like I think that this, my process, I think my commitment is making you proud. Uh, I, I, I mean, you, you're creating very lofty goals for for myself. Like you set the bar really high, but I'm doing the best what I'm doing the best that I can to attain them because uh, obviously you're the gold standard. Only a dirtbag gambling guy would be texting me this information. 
The Chicago White Sox are 14-0 against left-handed stars this season. The average score for the White Sox is 7.1 runs per game, while the opponent was 3.4 runs per game. And but I will give, that, that will probably give your listeners and fans of the A's a lot of pause about, about the game one result, but I'll give you a number that should make you feel way, way better. And it's also a gambling number. And it is a number that, at least according to Vegas Insider, which is my source for such things, 80%, that is an 8-0, 80% of public money has come in on the White Sox for game one. That should make you feel really good, really good about the prospects of you winning that game. Because those buildings out there, they're nice, they're tall, they're beautiful, they have electricity, they have all sorts of fun things in them. And there is no way that there's no way they would have set the game one line the way they did uh, without knowing something that we don't, especially if 80% of the public is going to be in on Chicago. We'll see where the line lands. But look, that's, I fade the public as often as I possibly can. That number should make you guys feel awfully good about your game one chances. Yeah, because the reason why those buildings are built in Vegas is because the public loses. (laughs) Exactly. So as a general rule, if I ever see some sort of crooked number, like an 80% number is a really crooked number. So what the public knows is, you know what? The White Sox really hit left-handed pitching, you know, and all these things. The White Sox also candidly have a lot more famous and well-known players. And that was a team that people remember just, you know, being great just a few weeks ago. But I'm with you. Like, I think the way they ended the season is is probably not contributing, obviously, much to that number. And I think the perception that people have of the White Sox and their pitcher today is probably going a long way in the confidence for that club. But I'm not buying it. I think the A's win game one. I think you win game one today, find a way to win two of the next three games, whether it's Bassett or whether it's in game three. And even though you're, you're Matt Chapman less, and even though you're not picking the ball up the way that you did last year, and even though there's some question marks in that starting rotation, that, your club, your club is still good enough to make a run in this postseason. Without Chappie, I'm not quite sure you can make it all the way there, but I have a good feeling about today, and I have a good feeling about this series. Hembo, you are the best, my friend. We will talk soon and uh, enjoy the playoffs because this is going to be a lot of fun. Oh my! God. I, I can't believe we're here, my friend. It's always good to hear your voice, and I'll be texting you throughout the postseason. Enjoy. Always great to have Hembo on and also Sarah Langs from MLB.com. We caught up with Sarah right after she was on MLB Network, MLB Now, their great show that we talked about, hosted by Brian Kinney. She was back in the dressing room. She just got done doing TV as we get you ready for the A's and the White Sox. I can tell you, Sarah, it is great to see you. It's been a while. How are you in New York? Yeah, it's great to see you. You know, I was just thinking and I was telling Cody when I was uh, texting him to figure out what time we're going to do this a year ago. A year ago, Tuesday, essentially, we were standing at the Coliseum on the field, talking, getting ready for the A's to play in the wildcard game. And, you know, nobody's traveling right now, or most people aren't, but I really missed that moment. So it's good to at least see your face on here. Yeah, it's really hard to believe how our world has changed so much. And I, I did a lot of reflection, and I'm normally not the reflection kind of guy. But uh, after my show yesterday, I kind of sat in my studio and just went, wow, we got through it. Like, I yeah. wasn't sure we were going to get through 60 games. And, you know, you, you think what we've done here with A's cast, where we've started the and we are the number one podcast in Major League Baseball. And, and Cody and I essentially carried a a talk show for eight months without baseball. There was no baseball. We carried a baseball show for eight months. And to think where we are now, it's, it's been a real wild ride. 
Yeah. And congrats to you guys. I mean, you guys are the best. We know that. I feel like I'm always seeing different people who I respect so much or mention or anything being on and chatting with you. And I love to see that because I know, you know, how far you guys have come from when you launched this and everything. So I love that, you know, you kept it going with no baseball and all of that. But here we are. And, you know, I think that a lot of everyone involved with the teams, you know, from every level deserves a lot of credit for I know there were some issues I know there were some issues but ultimately we made it to the end there really weren't that many issues in September at all Um, and I think that's really worth noting you know it got tightened up and I think that baseball in a lot of ways set an example for maybe a sport like the NFL you know that has the traveling going on you know hockey and basketball were very separate but the NFL's here they're traveling they have fans in the stands they're a little different to start with but baseball showed that this could be done you know you need to be tightened up and there were road bumps, but ultimately we played 60 games. Did it. I'll tell you what, what what's kind of interesting now that, you know, you, you pull back the curtain with the A's is I just think everybody with the A's just thought we're playing the Astros. And, you know, when we had the Bob Melvin show on, Bob was like, we wouldn't even need to do an advanced meeting. We know those guys so well, right? I mean, that's just like going into a, another series. And then all of a sudden Minnesota loses to the Reds and it completely flips the script to where you go from a team that you know like the back of your hand to the White Sox are even different from what they were last year, and now you're going into a series against a team. Sarah, you haven't even played this year. Yeah, you know, I actually was uh, with talking with Brian Kenny on MLB Now a little while ago, and we were talking about that. You know, there's only one series between teams that actually face each other this year. Just the AL East with the Rays and the Blue Jays, that's it. Every other series, and it's because of the regionalized schedules. Obviously, we understand why it's happening. But every other series is two teams that have not seen each other. They literally have not set foot in each other's ballparks, seen each other at all, maybe aside from a couple spring training games in certain cases since 2019. And I think it's really interesting, and I think it's very interesting for the A's because the Astros are such a known quantity. And I think that any of those teams that were kind of jostling around there, because the Astros were set in that six seed, and all these other teams that could have faced them, I think most of them would have wanted to. The Astros are probably the weaker team compared to the White Sox. I mean, record, obviously, they're below 500, but there's just so much energy with the White Sox, and the Astros are in a very different spot. So it was interesting to see how it all played out, but especially for the team like the A's, has seen them so much had a lot of energy in some of those games against them, but ultimately, you know, now here they are with the White Sox, an unknown quantity, a team that's really good against left-handers, which is definitely going to be, you know, a huge storyline, I feel like, heading into this game, and especially with uh, Jesus Lazard on the mound. But it's very weird to think about teams not being able to prepare in the same way. Yeah, because even though they don't want to say it, really the guy they want to go to in Game 3, if there is a Game 3, is Sean Manaya another lefty? And that would be yeah. the story. You know, here you got Mike Fires who wins all these games for you, and you're not going to start him. And you're going, you're going to go two, two out of three left-handers to a team that's undefeated against left-hand. I, I'm not sure Bob Melvin really wants it. Right now they're saying, hey, we're open to anything in game three. But, uh, yeah, because I don't think they want that to be the storyline right now. And I, and I think the thing for both these teams, because obviously, I mean, the White Sox, they lost seven out of eight down the stretch. Yeah. The A's, we had all, we had, what, four doubleheaders in 19 games. Uh, and it was just, or no, I should say 19 days at four doubleheaders. They played so many games. They looked exhausted at the end. I think for both of these teams, they're happy that uh, 
everybody's stats are now zero and we go back to just playing playoff baseball. Definitely. And I think one of the best things with this matchup is that these are two of the best, most fun teams in baseball. I mean, I think that most fans would agree it was in some order or another, the A's, the Padres and the White Sox. And the fact that we're getting two of them facing off, I mean, just taking the stats and everything out of it, like there's going to be that energy. And I think that, you know, what you're referring to that neither team necessarily showed it a whole lot down the stretcher in those last few weeks. I just think that means it's going to be even on overload starting on Tuesday, because I think that they've been playing so hard and gone through so much to get here. I mean, I do wonder if the passion from all players will look a little different because of COVID protocols and summer camp and spring training. And just, it took so much more to get here. I know it took fewer games, but I think it took a lot more mental energy and just like willpower. Oh, no doubt about it. I, you know, the, the, we know the physical part. We understand that. I, I, I think what the outside looking in, we don't understand the mental part and how tough this was mentally for all these players and coaches. You know, Scott Emerson, our pitching coach, was recently on. He goes, I haven't seen my wife or my dog since July. I mean, some of these guys, they haven't been able to see their kids. They haven't been able to see their wives, their girlfriends, their families. And it weighs on you. And, and you're testing every day. You know, so obviously we're taping this uh, on Monday. The game is tomorrow. And like Bob Melvin was telling us, with a noon game, they're going to have to show up like at 630 in the morning. Everybody's got to get tested. I mean, it's just this thing has been a total middle grind. And that's why I keep saying that whoever wins this World Series, I'm going to look at them as one of the toughest and strongest mentally tough baseball teams we've ever seen. Absolutely. And, you know, there's the question of what to do with this season in a lot of ways statistically. And I think that individual and regular season stats are just so different from the playoffs. And it's what you're saying. I mean, yes, Juan Soto, for instance, had an outstanding year. He was a qualified hitter, but he played in 47 games. Yes, someone is going to gripe about that for the next 20 years. I'm sure of it. I'm going to take it as, hey, he had a great year. But I don't think that you can even do that sort of griping when we get to this postseason. Even if you lose this first round in three games. I mean, you had to go into a hotel like a week in advance. You had to completely seal yourself off, even more so than what you had been doing before. And I, I these guys deserve a lot of credit. And I know they make a lot of money. I know that they're doing fine. But the mental part has nothing to do with how much money you're making or any of that. That's still really difficult for anybody. I just realized you're not at home. You're in a dressing room at M at the at MLB Network. Is that correct? That is correct. I so am. I'm like going, God, she's got weird ceilings. And I went, oh, that's right. She's not at home. Uh, yeah. how, how was my guy BK? He was great. He actually, you know, uh, I realized in the break we were talking about something, and he's like, oh, mentioning that he did Oakland radio this morning. So that must have been the segment that he uh, uh, taped with you guys earlier. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to run. So sorry for continuity uh, it, but yeah. it, it, it was actually it, it it ran on monday um there we go i'm glad that he mentioned that he was on yeah bk you know yeah. we're such huge fans of the show so as of right now i've taped the show so i'll watch it later uh how did you got what was the dialogue about uh a's and white Sox? yeah i mean we had we had a lot of fun talking about everything you know uh i don't remember if we got to lizardo had just been named the starter so i'm not sure if we if we quite got there, but it was a lot of big, big picture stuff, you know, and one of the things that did come up is the fact that these teams are facing teams that they haven't faced before. Um, and that's certainly one place where the, 
where the White Sox and A's are. And I'm trying to remember, we all did our brackets. I'm trying to remember who had who had the A's, who had the White Sox. I know mine, but I don't know, although I don't remember off the top of my head even now. <laughs> but you'll see it. You'll see it when you watch, and I'm sure it'll be in five million places, and I'll hear all about how wrong I was. All right. Well, you got to you got to tell us how far do you got the uh, green and gold going? I definitely had them winning the first series. I can't remember because I I mean, if you give me a second, I'll literally take out my notebook. Because it's either going to be the twins or the Astros that they'll face. Oh, yeah, I had them. I think I had them losing to the twins. Oh, just I know. I'm sorry. And, you know, I thought about you and I thought about the fact that I was going to be talking to you guys later. <laughs> but I did pick them in the first round. And I'm thinking about that winner take all game losing streak and everything else. And I definitely think that potentially not even having to go to that third game, not even having to bring that stat out is a great place to be in. Win those first two games. You're good. You're done. I like that a lot. But I, I this team is talented. They're definitely they definitely should advance, in my opinion. I just think Kenta Maeda and a lot about that Twins team is pretty fearsome. You know, really, the the four five in both brackets. I, well, the Padres would have been way more interesting if they didn't have their top two starters go down, yeah. uh, starting pitchers. But I think Padres Cardinals very interesting. But to me, Cleveland up against New York, the pitching against the power. I mean, you got the. I mean, you think about the two pitchers we got. You're going to Bieber against Cole. I mean, this this New York and Cleveland series is going to be very interesting. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because, as you said, it's definitely the pitching against the power. But game one, it's a guy who very easily could have won a Cy Young last year against the guy who's going to win it this year. You know, Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber. And I think that's going to be I, that's going to be the marquee matchup certainly of at least Tuesday but I think it's going to be one of the most marquee matchups we get and it's really hard to know because the Indians at times have struggled so much offensively but lately with the way Jose Ramirez has played looking like an AL MVP candidate and everything else it's it seems like hey maybe they have that almost unstoppable you know nature to them I know they were playing the Pirates this weekend but that game where they came back I mean they've had a bunch of comebacks and they had comebacks against the White Sox who are a very good team so it it depends a bit on which which Indians team shows up but you have to hope that the momentum carries because that's going to be quite the matchup I mean these the Reds certainly have a chance against the Atlanta Braves the Atlanta Braves starting pitching isn't great how about Donnie Baseball? And I always call them the COVID, the COVID Marlins because they were the first ones to get it. And the fact that, I mean, you look at the Reds, we didn't even know if they were going to be in the playoffs or the Marlins were going to be in the playoffs. But now, you know, Marlins are a six seed. The Reds are a seven seed. I, I, everybody's got a shot at this. It's kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I have the, I have the Reds beating the Braves. I mean, we'll Ooh. see. But I just don't know. The Braves' bullpen is really good, but I just don't know about that starting pitching beyond Max Freed with where they're at right now. And that red starting pitching. I mean, it's much, the reds would be much better suited to the previous playoff format, the normal one where they could just use their top three guys and just blaze through there pitching wise. But I still think that at least in that first round, they have a chance to be able to do that because they throw each of those guys. They can easily win each. If they need to win three games and <laughs> they might make it through two. But beyond that, I do think they could run into some trouble. But they have Michael Lorenzen, who's like the Swiss Army knife of baseball players, who said he wanted to play in every game this year and he didn't get to. So maybe he'll play in every playoff game. 
And I, I like that. Of course, whenever I come up with, hey, this is the upset I'm picking, the team gets like swept. So, you know, keep that in mind as well. But uh, I, I like the Reds there. All right. Who's going to be the Valparaiso or the Coppin State or Liberty or George Mason? There's always Davidson. Davidson. There's always that underdog that goes on a run in the NCAA tournament. Who is the underdog in this tournament out of the 16 teams that's going to shock all of us in baseball? Well, that's who I picked. I mean, when I did my bracket, I had the Reds going all the way to, I had them beating the Braves. I had them beating, I had the Cubs advancing, and then I had them beating the Cubs. Wow. And then I had them losing to the Dodgers. I The Cubs offense, I, I, I am the world's biggest David Ross fan. I wish nothing but the best for him and his team, but I just don't, they haven't hit. They haven't hit at home. They haven't hit on the road. I know it's going to be neutral site if they get out of that series with the Marlins. I have them beating the Marlins, but I would believe it if they lost to them. But I just, I I, I don't know. When they come up against that Reds team, and I don't even remember what the head-to-head was or anything else, but the Cubs have looked so flat at various times. And I like the feisty Chris Bryant lately. His reaction after he had the game where he hit the Grand Slam, his post-game comments, I think if he comes in with that energy, they have a bit more of a chance, but... Javier Baez having a very bad season. He's such an electric player. You hate to see that happen, but he's having a bad season. Rizzo's not having a great season. Schwarber is hitting the ball really well, but it's not enough. And I I really think still in the shorter series, in the five-game series, the Reds win that. All right, let's end on this. One and eight. So you got Brewers and Dodgers, and you got Rays. And nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Jays, the baby Jays. If you had to say a one seed is going to get upset in the first round. I love talking about it because it's like college basketball. (laughs) Who who, who do you got? Are you, you know what? The Brewers got a better chance to upset or the Jays got a better chance? First of all, I love that you said that nobody circles the wagons because I love that so much. That was like my favorite thing working on football shows at ESPN. And uh, I actually wrote a story for MLB.com. I don't know if it's up yet about uh, it's what I did for your A's Padres series at the beginning of September with just like a bunch of gifts and like fun things to watch. And one of my headers was nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Blue Jays. So I just had to say that I, uh, I, it's really tough because obviously the Brewers and Blue Jays are not as good as the Dodgers and Rays. And there are definitely significant flaws in comparison The Dodgers were, you know, the world beaters this year, and I'm picking them to win the World Series. That is my pick. But I think that if you give Craig Council the right mix of pitchers, and he, I believe that he can play it completely right. You need a couple other things to go right. There's no question. But he is such a good manager, and I would be disappointed to see them potentially get swept out of this because he's, we know he's a much better manager than that. And the way the wild card game went last year and everything else, but he is built for this October, no disrespect to any other manager, but I wish another team could borrow him. If he does get eliminated, even just having him in as an advisor. And I know that's not how any of this works with competitiveness, but he can manage a bullpen and manage a group of pitchers like almost nobody else other than maybe Kevin cash. And that's what's going to get you through the playoffs here. I don't necessarily think they can even win a five-game series, but I could see him maneuvering it to three win- to two wins, you know, in three games if, if he needs to. And that's, you know, no disrespect to the Jays, but that feels a little more likely just because of that and because of that council factor. 
compared to the AL one. You do realize that at one point, the Buffalo Jays were the best team in New York State. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was a fun one. You know what? It was – I think that worked out great. I mean, put that on the list of things where people had whatever to say about it when it started, but those games were fun to watch. There was a lot of offense. You know, it, it played like the park that it probably is, but I didn't see much about complaints about anything in terms of, you know, we knew about the lights going in. We knew that might be a thing, but I didn't see any opposing teams saying, oh, we hated playing there or anything else. And it was fun and it was good to see them have a home somewhere that was their own after what happened with Canada and everything else, you know, definitely preferable to playing all of those games on the road. Well, you will be a must follow on Twitter during the postseason because nobody, and I mean, nobody tweets out more consistent, great information than you. I'm serious. There's nobody better. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, there's a reason why you're sitting in the dressing room at MLB Network. (laughs) There's a reason why they bring you on. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Okay, let's talk soon because this isn't the only appearance. We're going to need you throughout the postseason. And the A's are going to go far, so you're going to be doing some preview shows, right? Of course. We'll be on every day. Prove me wrong. I have them winning in the first round. I don't want A's fans being angry at me. I don't want it's anyone right. angry. At me. Hey, if they prove you wrong, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. No, I want that to happen. Bob Melvin went to Cal. My mom went to Cal. We're big Cal fans. The A's are basically the major league Cal Bears. Oh, my God. Simeon, Canna. I mean, we yeah. got so much. Roxy Bernstein as a broadcaster. I know. We got so much Cal. It's disgusting because I'm a San Jose State guy. <laughs> as long as it's not Stanford, we're good. <laughs> well, that's that's Piscotti and Susan Slusser. I so know. We're, I we're, know. We're, we're, we're well-represented Bay Area colleges with the Oakland A's. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you so much. Stay well. That's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank the Hall of Famer, the Ford C. Frick Award winner, Ken Hawk Harrelson, Brian Kinney, Himbo, and Sarah Langs. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.